The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. So if you grew up going to church, or uh, even if you just grew up in kind of a a moderately religious home, uh, it can be really easy to miss just how incredibly shocking and how incredibly extreme um, so much of what Jesus said really was. Because Jesus actually said things like, I want you to love your enemies, I want you to pray for for your enemies. And and most of us, if we're honest, it's like, well, I don't even pray for my friends, right? I mean, I, I want to. Um, but, but, but Jesus actually says, no, I want you to pray f- for your enemies. And then Jesus said, you know, if somebody asks you for your coat, um, you, should just give them, you, know, you should just give them your shirt as well. In fact, Jesus actually said, um, whenever anybody asks you for anything, just whatever it is, doesn't matter, you should just, you should just give it to them. Jesus said um, that you should always forgive. Right? It doesn't matter what they did. doesn't matter what the circumstances were. doesn't matter what happened. Jesus said, no, you should just always forgive everybody. Jesus actually said to the Jewish people, right, that you should pay taxes to the Roman government. He said, I know they're oppressing you. I know they're hurting you. I know they're persecuting you. I still want you to pay your taxes to the Roman government. Jesus said, I want you to be perfect. Not not just be good, right, not just be good, not just try hard. No, Jesus says, I want you to be perfect, See, it's easy to miss how incredibly shocking and how extreme so much of what Jesus said really was because we get so used to hearing it. But in fact, it's precisely because what Jesus says is so shocking and it is so extreme, that's actually one of the many reasons why I really believe that Jesus said these things, right? Because because you wouldn't make this stuff up, would you? I mean, if you were trying to get a group of people to, to follow you, um, if, if there really was this group of people you know, trying to make Jesus into something that Jesus wasn't you know, really, if they were trying to put words you know, into Jesus' mouth kind of after the fact, right? you don't say, love your enemies. No, you say, let's defeat our enemies. Right? You don't say, pay your taxes. No, what you say is, our taxes, these taxes are unjust. Don't pay your taxes, right? It's precisely because so much of what Jesus says is shocking that we actually know, no, this actually is what Jesus said because, because the reality is, is you wouldn't make this stuff up because what Jesus says is too shocking. It, it, it's too extreme. It's so easy for us to miss that these are the actual words of Jesus. And so the reason, the whole reason we're doing this series is because buried deep within some of these shocking and extreme statements that Jesus makes is truth, Right? Truth. Brand new truth. Truth that was never heard by the world before. Truth that was being brought to light by Jesus for the very first time. Truth that frankly isn't natural to our normal way of understanding and thinking. And what Jesus was saying essentially in all these statements that we're looking at through this series is, listen, I don't want you thinking normally anymore. I don't want you thinking the way the people around you think. In fact, I want you to think and live your life differently than the world around you. I want you to know things about you, about your relationships, and specifically about your relationship with your Heavenly Father, things that nobody else will know unless God's Son were to actually communicate them to us. Now, last week was our first week in this series, and in that series, in that opener, um, RJ took us into a very short and a very shocking statement that Jesus makes, because Jesus says, I want you to be perfect, right? Just like your Father in heaven is perfect. And see, that, that very short and shocking statement of Jesus 
Um, it's actually found right in the middle of a whole bunch of shocking statements that Jesus makes um, that, that we think of as the Sermon on the Mount. That's kind of how we know that section of Scripture. And, and we think about the Sermon on the Mount as being this like one-time speech um, that Jesus gave. But in reality, the content that is within the Sermon on the Mount, that's actually what Jesus taught over and over and over again any time Jesus actually gathered a group of people around to hear him teach. And so um, Jesus taught those same concepts and those same ideas in a bunch of different ways and a bunch of different settings. And, and Jesus would always end his teachings by saying kind of the same things. He would always say things like, um, you have heard it said, but I say. You have heard it taught, but I say. Right? You have heard this since childhood. You've been told this since you were a little child, but I say. And no matter how shocking or how extreme or how incredibly new Jesus' teaching was, the people listening to it knew that this was something different than they had ever heard before. In fact, Matthew even tells us that when Jesus finished saying all these things, that the people who were listening to Jesus, they were amazed at his teaching. Because Jesus taught as one who had authority and not simply as one of their teachers of the law. Now, very soon after Matthew writes this statement, he tells us, Matthew tells us about another conversation that Jesus has with a group of Pharisees, and that conversation is going to lead us into our next shocking statement of Jesus this morning. It's found in Matthew chapter 12, uh, which if you use one of those Bibles that are in the seat back in front of you, if you take that out, it's on page 1,514. And Matthew chapter 12, in the very beginning, Matthew kind of sets the stage for us because uh, Jesus and his disciples um, are traveling from city to city. And so Matthew tells us in verse 1 that at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, and so they began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. And so again, the picture that we need to have in our minds of what's going on, Jesus and his followers, they're traveling from city to city, and on this particular day, they're walking through some, some grain fields, and it just so happens that this day is a Sabbath. And everywhere Jesus went, Jesus was always surrounded by a bunch, a big crowd. And what we have to remember is that those crowds were always made up of two groups of people. They were made up of his supporters, but they were also made up of his critics, and in this particular crowd, there's a group of Pharisees who see Jesus' disciples picking these heads of grain and eating them. And they look at Jesus and they say, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And so when they say this to Jesus, Jesus kind of calls a halt to this whole caravan. He waits for everybody to catch up. And he says, okay, hang on, just wait a minute, wait a minute, guys. He waits for everybody to kind of gather around him. And he looks at these Pharisees. And he says to them, listen, listen, you know, you know that there is nothing in the law that says that what my disciples are doing right now is wrong. You know that there's absolutely nothing wrong with us picking off kernels of grain on the Sabbath and eating them because, because we're hungry. Jesus says, you know, there's actually nothing wrong with that. And then in verse 5, Jesus kind of throws their own accusation right back at them. And he says, listen, you know that you're not correct because, because every single Sabbath, every single Sabbath in the temple, right, in the temple, the place where the Holy of Holies is, the place where we worship God, every single t Sabbath, all of the priests in the temples, they actually work on the Sabbath. You know that what you're saying is not correct. And see, Jesus' point was this. He was telling the Pharisees, you've got it all backwards. 
You've got it all backwards because you think that God is actually more concerned about his Sabbath than he is concerned about his people. He's saying to the Pharisees, you think that God actually cares more about his law than than he cares about or that he loves his people. Because, see, that's that's what they had done. They had fallen into the trap that's so easy for for religious people to fall into, and they began to love their religion more than they actually loved the people that the religion was given to. They, They were constantly prioritizing law over people, which is the essence of legalism. right? Legalism, it always prioritizes a position over a person. And this is why in our country and in our world today, this is why so many generations of people have actually walked away from the church, because legalism always prioritizes a position over a person. And yet, all throughout the Gospels, when we read the Gospels, we see that the thing that makes Jesus the most angry over and over and over again is whenever he would run into a group of people that were quick to try to use the law of God to dishonor people who were actually made in the image of God. And whenever that would happen, Jesus was always very, very quick to remind them, listen, all throughout history, that has never made God happy. And so this whole conversation with the Pharisees, it goes back and forth, back and forth. And then Jesus finally has enough. And he brings this whole conversation to to an end. And he does it in a very interesting and shocking way because he gathers the Pharisees together and he says, okay, guys, let me let you in on a little secret right here. Verse 6, I tell you the truth. One who is greater than the temple is here. Now, for Jesus to, to glare himself, for him to say that, that he was greater than the temple, this was not just shocking, right? I mean, th- this was crazy. This was insane. And this was also this was also blasphemy, right? Because there is no thing, and there certainly was no person that, the, that was greater than the temple. I mean, after all, I mean, after all, this was this was the new temple. This was Herod's temple. This was the new and improved temple. This was the second temple. See, the first temple was actually the temple that was built by King Solomon. And in 586 B.C., Solomon, who was the third king of Israel, Solomon, who was David's son, that temple that Solomon built in 586 B.C. was completely destroyed by the Babylonians when they invaded Israel. In fact, this is when four guys that you learned about when you were a little kid in Sunday school or vacation Bible school, right? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you remember them? This is when they were all exiled out of Egypt or out of Israel and brought into Babylon when that temple was destroyed. But then 70 years later, just one generation, 70 years later, just like the prophet Jeremiah predicted, The Babylonians themselves, they were actually captured by another empire, by the Persian Empire. And their leader, a man by the name of Cyrus the Great, he actually allowed a group of of Israelites, a group of, of Jewish people to go back into Jerusalem and not only rebuild their city, but also rebuild their temple. But as excited as they were, the problem was is that this new temple, it was kind of like a Hotel Six temple, right? I mean, it was fine. It was fine. I mean, yeah, it's a temple, I guess. But it was not nearly as grand or as glorious as the original temple. In fact, the prophet Ezra even tells us that there were some people there, because it was only 70 years. There were some people there that day watching as the new temple foundation was being laid. And they remembered the old temple. And they began to weep. Because they could tell that it was not nearly as grand, it would not be as glorious, it wasn't even going to be the same size. 
as Solomon's temple. And for 500 years, the Israelites, they deal with this Hotel Six kind of temple. And then just 15 years before Jesus is born, this same piece of land is now occupied by the Romans. And the Roman emperor installs his own king to rule over this same group of people. He puts in a guy by the name of Herod the Great that maybe you've heard of. And Herod knows that he has a problem on his hands because these Jewish people, they hate the Romans and they hate him. And he's a smart guy. And he realizes, the the historian Josephus tells us, Herod realizes the only way he's going to build any bridges with these people if he does something that they want. And so to ingratiate himself on these Jewish people, the high priest and the religious leaders, Herod says that he's going to rebuild their temple. And not only is he going to rebuild it, he's going to restore it, and it's going to even surpass its original size and glory. And what Herod delivers to the Jewish people is absolutely extraordinary. This is actually a picture of the Jewish temple after Herod was done rebuilding and restoring it. The temple, which used to be all by itself sitting on the top of Mount Moriah, was now in the middle of a massive stone foundation, which was known as the Temple Mount. The walls of that massive stone foundation were almost 100 feet high around the entire perimeter of the temple. Then the temple itself, it rose another 60 feet above that stone foundation. And as beautiful and as glorious as this new and expanded temple now was, with its gold inlay and its beautiful marble exterior, the thing that made the temple one of the wonders of the ancient world wasn't actually the temple itself. It was the mount that it was now standing in the middle of. Because that mount itself occupied a space of almost 30 Acres, almost twice the size as the piece of property that our church is currently loaded, located on today. And the entire thing was made with cut, quarried stone. Some of the stones in that Temple Mount were so large, they were 45 feet long, 16 feet wide, and they weighed more than 500 tons. Something greater than the Temple, Jesus? I don't think so. It's just a little while after Jesus makes this incredible, shocking statement that Mark, actually, in Mark chapter 13, if you turn over to that page, Mark picks up in our story, and Mark tells us, and and you've experienced this before, Mark tells us about um, Jesus and his disciples, they're actually leaving that temple. And the disciples, even though they had seen this temple every day or almost every day in their lives, you've experienced the same kind of thing before. There are some buildings that you see, and no matter how often you see them, You're still awestruck every time you see it. Well, this was the response that the disciples had every time they saw the temple, and they thought to themselves, how in the world did they they get all of these massive stones here? How in the world did they get them on top of this mountain? How in the world did they they lay them so precisely on top of each other? The whole thing was just awe-inspiring. And so in Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, the disciples, they kind of stop one more time to marvel at this extraordinary, extraordinary building. And so as they're leaving the temple, Jesus and his disciples, one of his disciples said to Jesus, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what a magnificent building. And then what Jesus says next, if you are not, listen, if you are here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, okay, if you're here this morning and you're just not sure, you've heard all the claims, you just don't know if you can really 
believe everything that you've been told about who Jesus is, if you are not a follower of Jesus for any reason, right, what Jesus says next is absolutely shocking. Because Jesus, he looks at his disciples and he says to them in verse 2, he says, Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here. Not one stone will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Which is actually a very interesting statement because, see, that's not what you and I would say. You and I, if we were saying this, we would say not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will, be fall, will, will fall down. Right? That, that's what we would say. But see, Jesus, Jesus doesn't say that. Because Jesus doesn't mean that. See, fall down is easy, right? Fall down is the result of an earthquake. Fall down is the result of, uh, of neglect. Fall down is the result of the natural passage of time over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. But see, Jesus doesn't say that because Jesus doesn't mean that. Instead, Jesus chooses a very specific and a very unique word. It's a word that's found only two times in the entire Bible. It's the word katalethe. And it literally means what it is that we read in our English Bibles. It means thrown down. But see, the problem is this. Throw down is impossible, right? I mean, you can't throw down Herod's temple. You could probably throw down in Herod's temple, but you can't throw down Herod's temple. right? It's possible, perhaps, that an earthquake could topple a parapet. An earthquake may crack the foundation. It may even crack a ceiling or a floor, and you've got to repair that. But even an earthquake, it could not throw down all the stones that made up the temple, and especially all the stones, the massive stones that made up the temple mount. I mean, it would take an army to do that. And there was only one army in the world that was that large and that powerful. It was the Roman army. But it was the Romans who just a couple of years earlier used their wealth, used their materials, used their resources to actually build and construct this temple. Because Herod, he actually brought in architects from Rome and from Greece and from Egypt to build this temple in the first place, all for the express purpose of making him more appealing, of making the Romans brought them in to make their ruler more appealing to the Jewish people and to keep the Jewish people in line because the Romans knew that the Jewish people would do anything to preserve their temple. Jesus, are you sure you're using that word correctly? I don't think that word means what you think it means. Throw down the temple, Jesus? That's inconceivable. Because, Jesus, that would be the end. I mean, Jesus, for that to happen, everything would be over. I mean, we can't even imagine what that would mean. And so as Jesus and his disciples, as they're leaving the temple, as they're walking through this valley opposite of the temple, as these shocking words of Jesus are just rattling around in, in the disciples' minds, they just keep thinking about it over and over and over again. They can't let it go because they remember Jesus saying that he was greater than the temple, which is just plain weird. But now, Jesus, the temple thrown down? This doesn't make sense. And so in verse 3, as Jesus was sitting at the Mount of Olives op- opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, they asked him, They asked him privately because they just couldn't let this one go. They couldn't get it out of their minds. Verse 4, tell us, they said, when will these things actually happen? And he did. 
And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says to them, you will know that what I've told you is about to take place when you see these things happen. You will know that what I've told you is about to happen when you see the city of Jerusalem surrounded by an army. And when you see the city of Jerusalem surrounded by an army, then you will know that what I've said will happen. It is happening. And when that happens, Jesus said, you should pray. You should pray and you should take everything with you out of the city that you can. You should take everyone with you that you can out of the city. And you should pray, and Jesus said, you should pray especially for the mothers. Jesus said, you should pray that there are no pregnant women anywhere near Jerusalem. You should pray that there are no mothers anywhere near Jerusalem. Because when this happens, Jesus said, it's going to be awful. And there are going to be so many men who die by the sword. It will be terrible and it will be over. And if you actually take the time to read what Jesus says, not only here in Mark, but also in Luke, also in Matthew, what you'll discover is that Jesus is in no way speaking figuratively. Instead, he is being very, very clear. And he is very clearly disturbed. And he is very clearly upset. And he is very clearly heartbroken by what he knows is going to happen in the future. And just 40 years later, after speaking these words, what Jesus said would happen did happen. And after about five years of tit-for-tat battling between the Romans and the, the Jewish, basically, gangs that were running through the land at that time... These Jewish gangs, they won a very surprising victory over an entire Roman legion. Nobody expected it. And that victory gave the Jewish rebellion kind of the momentum that it needed to to start raising armies all over Judea. In response to this, the Roman Empire started sending in legion after legion after legion of Roman forces to herd all of the rebels from Galilee in the north down to Judea in the south and then finally into the city of Jerusalem itself. And once they had everyone in the city of Jerusalem, the Roman forces started to build a stone wall all around the city of Jerusalem. And once that wall was finished, they began to build siege works all around the city of Jerusalem. And when the siege works were finished, they sealed the city. And then what happened next? It was truly terrible. And once everything in the city of Jerusalem was either dead or sold off into slavery, the 10th legion of Rome came into the city and literally dragged every single stone that not only made up the temple, but also made up the temple mount, and they threw each and every one of them into the valley below. In fact, if you were to go to this very spot today, this is what you'll see. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every stone will be thrown down. 2,000 years later, and the temple has never been rebuilt. On that day, August 6th of 70 AD, ancient Judaism died, never ever to be resurrected again, just as Jesus said would happen. Now, historically speaking, and again, you kind of know this, After this first generation of Christians die, after the first apostles and the first followers of Jesus die, right? Matthew, 
Mark, Luke, Paul, Thomas, they're all martyred. John's exiled on an island called Patmos, and he's left there. After that first generation of followers of Jesus die out, the group that takes over leadership in the church, the people, historically they're known and referred to as the church fathers. And this group of people actually did the exact same thing that I am doing here right now today in this moment. They looked at this very specific prediction, and they said, look, it happened. It happened exactly the way that Jesus said that it would happen. Jesus must be who he claims to be. Because how else in the world could this statement, this prophecy, which is so shocking and also so easy to verify, how in the world could that happen? Jesus must be who Jesus claimed he is because Jesus said it would happen, it did happen, and we can verify that it happened. Now, even though the church fathers, even though they said that it happened, the very interesting thing is this. This is the question that you have to kind of wrestle to the ground if you are not a follower of Jesus, right? The Gospels don't say anywhere that this happened. So why in the world would Matthew, Mark, and Luke, why would they not tell us that this event actually happened just the way that Jesus said it would happen? Why don't they just simply add that tagline onto the end of their story? I mean, it would be so much more convincing, wouldn't it, that it happened just as Jesus said it would happen? I mean, we find them doing this all throughout the Gospels. There's all different times where they editorialize, and they say things like, at the time, the disciples didn't understand But later, after Jesus rose, the disciples understood what he meant. We find them saying that all the time. So why in the world wouldn't they just add that simple one line onto the end of these prophecies as recorded in Matthew and Mark and Luke? Why wouldn't they do that? Now here's the answer. And this is, I'm telling you, this is so important. Do not miss this. If you are not a follower of Jesus, if you do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, this is the kind of thing that should make you just kind of pause and stop on your tracks for just a moment. Because, see, the reason why Mark doesn't say that in his gospel is because when Mark wrote his gospel, the temple was still standing. And when Matthew wrote his gospel, the temple was still standing. And when Luke wrote his gospel, the temple is still standing. Now, here's why this matters. Here's why this is something that you actually do, in fact, care about, even that you didn't know that maybe you might. Because, see, when you were in school or when a bunch of you go back to school in just a couple of weeks, the reason you were told or the reason you will be told that the gospels have not been written by reliable eyewitnesses is, in fact, because of this very prediction. Because, see, listen, if Jesus predicted the fall of Jerusalem with the detail that he gives us in here, and this wasn't written after the fact many generations later, then that is indisputable evidence that Jesus is really worth following. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be torn down. And it happened. Just the way that Jesus said it would happen. It is one of the most shocking and also verifiable prophecies ever given by anybody anywhere. And even more shocking than Jesus' statement was its implication. Because it meant that a day was coming when there would be no need for a temple. That a day was coming when there would be no more need for countless animal 
sacrifices. The, the day was coming when anybody anywhere could come into the presence of the God of the universe, face to face. And then 20 years later, after Jesus made that incredible, shocking prediction after his resurrection, but before the temple itself was actually finally destroyed, the Apostle Paul, he writes his own shocking words. The former Christian persecuting Pharisee himself, He tells this new group of followers of Jesus in the city of Corinth these amazing words. He says this. Do you not know? Because they didn't. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? The very same Holy Spirit that once only occupied the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem, but now, because of what Jesus had done, breaking down the barrier between God and man, because of what it is that Jesus had done, bringing to us the forgiveness of sin, the forgiveness of our sin, because of all that, Paul is telling them, the Holy Spirit, he no longer occupies a building. Instead, he inhabits the hearts of men and women and children and students everywhere. That you, he would go on to say, are not your own. Because he who lives within you, he came. The Holy Spirit actually came from God himself. And see, the unfortunate truth about these words is that for many of us, the significance of these words have been lost on us. But they were not lost on that first generation of followers of Jesus because they understood that these words meant that from now on, the word sacred would no longer be a word that was used to describe a building or a place or an object. That from now on, the word sacred would be used to describe people. Not just some people, but all people. Because you are living with sacred. You are married to sacred. You are raising sacred. You live with, you work for, you employ Sacred. You are married to sacred. And these shocking words themselves would ultimately set the stage for the end of slavery in our world. They would set the stage for the beginning of dignity for all of humanity because there is an inextricable link between the gospel of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, and the price that Jesus was willing to pay to declare the worth and the value and the dignity and the significance of every single person, all of which who have been created, created in his Father's image. And 20 years, 20 years after the Apostle Paul wrote those words, Jesus' words came true. And the temple was thrown down. And ultimately, not just the temple in Jerusalem, but temples all throughout the Roman Empire came tumbling down because something, someone greater than the temple is here, and he is in 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 here. here. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, that we would not miss the significance and the truth of those 
shocking, shocking words recorded for us in your word. That we would understand that every single person we meet, every single person that we interact with has been created by you. They have been made by you in your image. Father, that what people would see in us, in those of us who call ourselves followers of your son, followers of Jesus, that that would be so different, that that would be so unusual compared to what it is that they see in the rest of the world. Father, my prayer for us this morning is that you would give to each and every one of us that are here today a picture of what these words mean for us in our marriages, in our dating relationships, in our families, with the people that we work for, the people that we work with, what this truth means for our lives personally. And Father, for those times when every single one of us have neglected or ignored this truth, when we have allowed familiarity to breed contempt with how we treat each other, Father, for those moments, we ask your forgiveness. And Jesus, we pray that your Holy Spirit, the Spirit who lives within each one of us who call ourselves your followers and your people, that you would allow us to see each other the way that you see us. As people who need a Savior and people who are worth saving. Father, for the person and the people who are here right now and who in the midst of their circumstance just feel like everything is over and it's ending and it's terrible. Father, remind all of us that you are faithful and that you are the one who carries us through. Jesus, all this we pray in your name.